all here this morning. We know this past week it was Teachers Appreciation Day and Nurses Appreciation Day. Um, I can't remember the exact days, but it was this past week. And we just want to give a shout out to all of our teachers and nurses, those who uh, teach us, uh, that help us to grow into the men and women that we are, and, and our nurses, those who help us and heal us. We just want to express our special thanks and appreciation to you uh, for all that you do. Also, if you're visiting with us here this morning, we want to welcome you. Uh, we'd like to invite you, if you are visiting, to take out one of those little cards that you see in front of you and fill that out. There are two little black boxes there in the back of the auditorium. You can place those in there, or you can give those to me at the end of the service. And that's just so we can express our appreciation uh, for you being here with us this morning and get to know you just a little bit better. As we've been talking about in our series on faith, uh, we, we have seen in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 that faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's, it's this spiritual seeing of God's fingerprints in the world that leads to a firm conviction in His power and His wisdom. Likewise, faith is the substance of things that we hope for. Faith is also a spiritual tasting, if you will, of God's promises, which leads to this kind of confidence assurance in the complete fulfillment of those promises. And, and we see in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, what this kind of faith looks like in action through all of the Old Testament heroes that we read about within its pages. So, this morning, we're going to be opening up the pages of Hebrews chapter 11 again. So, take out your Bible with me, if you will, and turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And we're going to see and we're going to taste what faith looks like when it's faced with crisis. What faith looks like when it's faced with crisis. My boss came in this morning and informed me that my services for the company are no, are no longer needed. I was stunned as I looked into the mirror this morning and saw myself and realized how much older I looked than just 10 short years ago. She told me yesterday that she doesn't love me anymore. That desire that I have in which I know that it's wrong, I know that it's wrong to indulge in, it, it keeps coming back, it keeps returning, and it seems too powerful for me to bear. I just got another bill in the mail that I don't think I'll be able to pay. The government just informed our church that if our public sermons transgress their new definition of hate speech, then we're going to lose our tax exemption status and may suffer fine and or imprisonment. I'm standing next to a casket, disillusioned, stunned, angry, grieved, crisis, a universal human reality. Living the Christian life, it involves being faced with crises such as, such as these. A, a crisis of conflicting internal desires. A crisis of dreadful adversity of various kinds. A crisis of 
persecution, a crisis of death. All of us, various times and various ways, will stand at a crossroads and will be required to make a decision that sends us in one direction or another. And it's in those moments, it's in those points of crisis that your faith has an opportunity to shine as bright as the sun and reflect the glory of Jesus Christ or be seen as nothing but the same old thing that we see from most people every single day. So what do you do? What do you do when crisis comes into your life? What does faith look like when it's faced with crisis? This morning, we're going to be open, opening up Hebrews 11, and we're going to see what faith looks like in these moments. We're going to see what faith looks like in crisis through the Old Testament hero, Moses. You remember the story of the stories of Moses? Moses was uh, no stranger to crises. He was faced with points of crisis in, in his life uh, many times. And in Hebrews 11, the author wishes to highlight the kind of extraordinary, astounding faith that this man displayed in those moments, in those times. And he wants to encourage us as 21st century readers, to pick up faith's banner like Moses did when we stand on the brink of a crisis. Uh, so, that's what we're going to be looking at. Four crises in Moses' life that we see within Hebrews chapter 11. Look with me in verse 23, if you will. Hebrews chapter 11, verses, starting in verse 23. Hebrews 11.23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So, first off here we're, we see a crisis, not directly in the life of Moses, but in the life of his parents. We remember the story in Exodus chapter 1 and 2 and following uh, that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he, he declares this horrible, atrocious edict that all of the Hebrew baby boys should be killed because he was afraid that the Hebrews were going to one day rise up and overthrow them and, uh, and fight against them and join their enemies. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and, but because of the faith of Moses' parents, they weren't afraid of this edict. They weren't afraid of what the king declared. And they hid their baby boy. They hid Moses instead of handing him over to the authorities. Now, imagine with me, if you will, what it would have been like for Moses' parents to do this. I've never tried to hide a baby. Maybe you have. I haven't. But I can imagine that it'd be very difficult. I mean, because babies, what do they do? They make a lot of noise. They require a lot of attention. It's, it's a full-time job to take care of a baby, let alone to try to, to hide one. So just imagine what Moses' parents went through trying to conceal their son from the Egyptians. Their hearts dropping to the pit of their stomachs 
upon hearing a group of Egyptian soldiers marching through their streets, stopping just shy of their house at the next door neighbor's uh, house to conduct some kind of a routine check. They gasp in horror as their door swings open, swings wide open in the middle of the day, only, discover, only to discover that it's Miriam <laughs> coming home uh, in, in shock. They're struck with paranoia as they see a strange man watching them, looking at them from a distance. He seems to be watching their house and what they are doing. They hear the sound of crying from another baby boy being born in the next door house, only to be abruptly silenced by a splash in the Nile River. The daily uncertainty of what was going to happen next and the dread of the horrible consequences looming into view more and more clearly with each passing moment was an extraordinary burden to bear from Moses' parents because they know that if they're caught with this baby, they too would most likely be killed, they and probably their entire family. This was tremendous faith, tremendous faith to do something like this, tremendous show of faith in a crisis. But I want to ask, and I want us to think about this, how is this faith? How, how, how is this faith? What makes their actions, the actions of Moses' parents, of hiding Moses, a display of biblical faith? Why? Why is this faith? How is this faith? I think we see the answer to that question in the passage that we just read. Moses' parents, we remember, hid him for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful. They saw that the child was beautiful. They chose to risk their lives because they saw that this baby boy was beautiful. Now, what is that supposed to mean? Uh, does, does that mean that Moses' parents were so infatuated with him and, and, and thought that he was just so precious and beautiful that, 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 that they just had to hide him? And that's what revealed their faith. I highly doubt it. If, if that were the case, I would say that that's more of a natural instinct than, than, a, than an act of biblical faith. I mean, just factually, most mothers, believers or unbelievers, uh, would probably risk their lives to, to save their children. But that doesn't automatically mean that it's an act of this kind of biblical faith that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. There were probably other Hebrew mothers uh, with, with, within the nation doing the same thing, trying to hide their baby boys as well during this, this horrible period of carnage. But what Moses' parents did, it seems to stand out in some way from all the rest. So I'll ask again. What makes the action of Moses' parents, of hiding Moses for three months, an act of biblical faith? What does the author want us to see here? What does he want us to understand? 
One commentator says this, and I think this is very helpful. The decision of Moses' parents to hide him for three months is prompted not merely by natural affection, but by a special awareness of God's promises being fulfilled through this child. What makes their actions of hiding Moses a display of biblical faith is that Moses' parents recognized, they saw somehow that this child that they had was unusual. This child was special. He was gifted. He was beautiful in the sense that God had a particular purpose in mind for this baby boy. It would be through this child that God would deliver his people from slavery and fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham centuries earlier. Moses' parents, they saw this. They saw this. They recognized this. They saw that the beautiful, they saw the beautiful uniqueness of this precious baby boy. They knew by faith that God had a purpose for him. And they risked it all. They risked their own lives so that that purpose, so that God's purpose would be fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, that's faith. That's biblical faith. That's what makes their actions a show of biblical faith. Faith in crisis elevates God's purposes above personal security. Faith in crisis elevates God's purposes above personal security. Faith sees the beauty of God's grand plan, the splendor of His ultimate will, and faith says in its heart, that's what I choose to uphold. That's what I choose to embrace. Even by doing so, it might jeopardize my future. God's purposes and my personal security, my comfort, my leisure, they don't always go together. Sometimes you can't have both. Every single one of us has been or will be faced with a time when we are presented with a choice, a decision to keep in step with God's will and purposes, which seems uncertain in the moment, which may seem unclear, or security, which seems to be the safest route to go. But it's only when we choose to elevate God's purposes in crisis do we live by faith. That's what faith looks like as we see through Moses' parents. It elevates God's purposes, God's will, even above my personal security. Let's look at another example of faith in crisis in verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 24 and 25 says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now remember in the story of the Exodus that Moses was adopted as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. The original text in Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 10, says, When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of water. 
As we see ancient Egypt in its cultural context, we see that Egypt was one of the most advanced civilizations in this time period. It was a very fertile place where there existed luxury and wealth and treasures that far exceeded any others in any other place. The riches that Moses would inherit would be some of the finest that anyone living in this time period could only dream of having if he stayed in Egypt. And many thinkers uh, and commentators even suggest that Moses would have most likely been the heir to the throne of Egypt if he remained in Pharaoh's palace. Moses, he would have had everything, everything. He would have had every pleasure at his fingertips if he just stayed in Egypt, if he stayed in the same position. Any pleasure, any convenience, any desire that entered into his mind would be his. But if Moses left, if he fled Egypt, he would have nothing, absolutely nothing. No throne, no luxuries, no glory. And not only would there be this absence of, of the finer things within Moses' life, but he would even be identified with the lowest class of human beings on earth. A pitiful nation of slaves who were daily subjugated to heavy burdens, broken spirits, vanished hopes, and constant abuse. Which would you choose? Israel or Egypt? Power, prestige, comfort, security, glory, or poverty, contempt, affliction, and scorn. That's the crisis decision that Moses was faced with that we see in the text. To be identified in the eyes of men as the son of Pharaoh's daughter or stand along the despised people of God and suffer mistreatment because of it. And what Moses does is completely out of the ordinary, something that, that, that no one operating by normal human under, reasoning or logic would, would, would do. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, <clears throat> One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. When Moses looks out across the landscape and sees God's people, the implied meaning here is that he's filled with compassion on God's people, and he makes his choice. He chooses to be identified with this nation of slaves. Why? Why, why, why would he do something like that? The Hebrew author tells us in verse 26 of Hebrews 11, he, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth, greater wealth, the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What Moses chooses is beyond crazy. It almost transcends into insanity. He would rather suffer the ill treatment, the insults, the disgraces, the mockings, and shame associated with the Christ than the treasures of Egypt, a choice that seems insane until you taste and see how precious this Jesus really is. 
Paul tells us how precious he is to him in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. In verse 7, Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In the eyes of the faithful, the beauty and value of Jesus cannot even compare to the glorious riches of this world. In fact, to Paul and to Moses, Jesus is so precious and worthy that even the lowest and most negative experiences you have while walking in Him are to be considered treasures over anything else because you have Him. Ill treatment, insults, disgraces, mockings, shame associated with the cross of Jesus Christ, they're riches. They're treasures, they're greater wealth than the wealth of Egypt. And that's what faith sees in crisis. That's what faith beholds when it experiences crisis. Faith in crisis considers the pleasures in Jesus as superior to the pleasures of Egypt. I heard a preacher once say, faith is essentially beholding and embracing the all-satisfying treasure of Christ. We walk by faith in times of crisis when we see Christ as our all-satisfying treasure and choose Him over the wealth of Egypt. Look with me at another instance of crisis in Moses' life. Verse 27, the first half of verse 27 in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Now remember that after Moses chooses to be identified with the people of God instead of the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he flees Egypt and he travels to the land of Midian. I want to read that, uh, the original text that uh, recounts that in Exodus chapter 2, um, starting in verse 11 through verse 15. It says uh, in the second half of verse 11, he saw, an Egypt, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And now pay attention here. Then Moses was afraid. And thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Now notice here, as we compare the account of the story in the book of Hebrews and in the, and in the original text of Exodus, that, that we're faced with what seems to be, seems to be on the surface, a contradiction. He, he, Hebrew says that Moses was not afraid of the anger of the king, but the text in Exodus that we just read reads that Moses was afraid that his actions had been made known. I mean, it, it can't be both, 
can it? What's, what's going on here? What is the Hebrew author trying to communicate to us? I think it would help us to look at what David says, King David, in Psalm 56, verse 3. I think he can help us with this predicament. Psalm 56, verse 3. King David says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. We see through David here that fear and faith are not mutually exclusive. When, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. His fear and his faith are both occurring at the same time. And the significance of this is that even though David says that he is struck with initial fear, he doesn't allow that fear to be the ultimate reality in his life. He looked at his fear dead in the face, a fear that, that, that came bellowing out of his soul like an angry, roaring, untamed beast and said to it, I choose to trust in God. I'm not going to let you define me. So, how we reconcile Hebrews and Exodus together is by understanding, I think, the complexities that encompass fear and faith. Moses was afraid of dying, yes, like Exodus 2 says, but that fear that he possessed did not win the day. That fear was not the ultimate reality in his life. At a much deeper level, he trusted that God would protect him and preserve him and deliver him. Moses overcame his fear to live in faith. And that's what the, the, that's what the Hebrew author wants his audience and us today to see. That the fear you experience... The fear that comes over your soul in your life does not have to win the day. God has given you the spiritual resources that you need so that even though you feel fear, you experience fear, that fear does not have to define you and become the ultimate reality in your life. How? By doing what Moses did in verse 27 of Hebrews 11. For he endured, for Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible, by seeing him who is unseen. Even though Moses was afraid initially, he endured by setting the eyes of his heart on him who is invisible, and he wasn't conquered by that fear. That's faith. That's biblical faith. Faith in crisis sets its eyes on the unseen through dreadful adversity. Faith says, I'm afraid. Yes, I am afraid. I'm terrified, in fact. I am. That's what I feel. That's what I experience. But I'm going to look to the God I can't see with my two eyes, but who I can see with the eyes of my heart and know that he holds me in the palm of his hand, that he will deliver me and, and will extend his loyal love and his faithfulness to me with each passing 
morning. Brothers and sisters, that's faith. That's the kind of Moses, the faith that Moses displayed. And that's what faith looks like in crisis. It sets its mind, it sets its focus on what is unseen, even through dreadful adversity. Lastly, this morning, I want to look at one more brief incident of Moses' um, Moses's faith. In verse 29 of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29 says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now, the last crisis here that the Hebrew author presents in Moses' life is, is the miraculous crossing of, of the Red Sea. I want to read that original text in, Hebrew, in Exodus chapter 14, uh, verses 21 through 22. It says in verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Just imagine what that would have been like uh, for, for, the, for the people of Israel. Of Israel to see the waters divide as two walls, as a wall on the right and as a, and, and as a wall on, on, on their left. Um, if, if they did, if they did what, what, what God said, if they did walk out on dry land through those waters, then they would completely be placing their fate in the hands of God. Because those giant walls that they see to their right and to their left, that's death. That's death staring them right in the face. But they believed. They trusted under Moses' leadership that God would deliver them through this crisis. That's faith. That's biblical faith. Faith in crisis believes that deliverance will be had by holding God's hand through the crisis. Like Moses and the Israelites, we can say today with confidence and assurance, it seems like death is staring at me in the face, but I choose to believe that I will be delivered, that salvation will be mine and redemption and healing will be mine when I reach out and I take hold of God's hand and I trust Him to lead me through the crisis. That's faith. And it's those who embrace this faith that will assuredly be delivered. Crisis, it's a universal reality, something that you will face within your life. But when you are faced with it, know, please know, that that is a prime opportunity for you to embrace faith and to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ and show people how good He really is when you're tested, when you're faced with crisis. So I'll ask you this morning as I close, what will you do when crisis comes knocking at your door? Uh, this morning, uh, if you need to respond to the invitation uh, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, if uh, you need prayers, um, or if you wish to embrace Him in, in relationship, the call is extended to you this morning. You have an opportunity to believe 
in the Son of God. You have an opportunity to repent of your sins, to confess faith in, in Jesus Christ and be immersed in Him for the forgiveness of your sins and begin a relationship with Him. Uh, if you need to do that this morning, don't wait. Don't wait. You don't know if tomorrow will come. Uh, if you have any need this morning, come as we stand and as we sing.